Hello, my name is Dwayne, and welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today is June the 5th. been a while since we've been together, but today we're going to just look at chapter number 3, quickly review verses 1 through 5, and then just see how far we get in the time that we have together. So, uh, Galatians uh, chapter number 3. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? Um, in this chapter, we see Paul doubling down against the works gospel that was being pushed. And I believe that this was an attempt to mix works with grace, uh, which most people will readily agree with that assessment, but I believe that it is it is an attempt to mix the kingdom gospel with the grace gospel. And of course, the kingdom gospel was very much a works gospel. Um, it was a gospel that was still very much under the law. And most people, that's lost on them as they work their way through the book of Acts, the book of transition, they see the birth of the body of Christ in Acts chapter number 2. Therefore, it's lost from that point forward, not realizing that Acts chapter 2 has absolutely nothing to do, Pentecost has nothing to do with the body of Christ, nothing to do with the formation of the body of Christ. Uh, it was for the nation of Israel. It was the legitimate bona fide offer of the kingdom to the nation of Israel given by Peter, as he was promised when he was said he would be given the keys, what he opens will be, will will remain open, what he closes will be closed. So uh, uh, people lose that. They see the church there, and they begin to build everything on Acts chapter number two for the body of Christ. And, I, and I've come to believe that's where they're going off the rails. Uh, the body of Christ was not, uh, was hidden in Christ. And it was revealed to the Apostle Paul. So therefore, it had to have happened after chapter number 9 of the book of Acts uh, when Paul was converted on the Damascus Road. And I don't believe it happened then. I believe that Paul experienced uh, two conversions. Acts chapter number 9, clearly, um, he thereafter, I believe, preached the kingdom gospel. That's all he knew. But at some point later, I believe somewhere around chapter number 13, and bear in mind, we're well half into the book of Acts by now, uh, he received the revelation of the mystery, uh, and he was the first um, to be in the body of Christ. He was the first grace believer. So that, to me, is when the body of Christ was born. Um, and again, when you start seeing the book of Acts that way, it not only calls into question that particular book, but it, it calls into question every other book in the New Testament. Uh, for example, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There was no body of Christ. Uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, it was still the promise of the kingdom. The kingdom was never promised to the Gentile. The, the kingdom was promised to the nation of Israel. Uh, so the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then at Pentecost, 
the kingdom was legitimately offered to the nation. Uh, too many people see um, Israel's rejection of Christ at his crucifixion as when the, the kingdom offer was taken off the table. No, the, the crucifixion of Christ made it possible for the kingdom to even be, to be offered. He had to be crucified. Hebrews says that he had to die so that the sins that were committed under the, under the First Testament could be forgiven so that the Second Testament could be offered. So again, I, I've come to believe that it's, it's, it's a tremendous misunderstanding. And once you understand that, you understand that Paul's ministry was very unique. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first half of the book of Acts, and all of the Hebrew epistles, we call them Hebrew epistles for a reason, they were written to the Hebrews, <laughs> uh, Hebrews through Revelation, is for the nation of Israel. While there may be application for you and I today, we, were, we are not the primary audience that was being addressed. Uh, Paul's writings are what was addressed to the body of Christ. And even then, you have to pay particular attention to the pronouns, who Paul is talking about, who he is talking to. Um, Paul was a Jew, so he would use the terms we and us referring to the nation and they and them referring to the Gentiles. So it, once you start seeing the Bible from the New Testament from that perspective, uh, it really makes you challenge everything that you've learned let alone taught as as a pastor like myself. So now, you know, some people, you know, I was talking to a gentleman the other day, and he said, what does it matter? Uh, I think it matters a lot, you know. Um, it matters a lot. Because um, today, really, the modern church is guilty of exactly what Paul is accusing the Galatians of being guilty of, mixing law with grace saying repent and be baptized on one hand and turn around and saying believe by faith on the other, not of works on, on the other hand. It's one or the other. We have mixed the two gospels, which is exactly what Paul is warning against here in the book of Galatians. So when he calls them foolish and he says, who has bewitched you that you should obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you. He accuses them of being foolish. He accuses them of being wit bewitched. Why? Because uh, they did not obey the truth. They did not obey the truth. Now, interesting, a lot of the modern-day translations remove that part of the verse, that ye should not obey the truth. Um which I don't understand that because that is the entire point that he is making. They are not obeying the truth of his gospel, which was the grace gospel. And the phrase evidently set forth implies that he is referring to a case that has been remitted, that has been presented, that they full well knew about, and they were rejecting it. Um, and in spite of that, they were bewitched into thinking that the, that the gospel of grace was simply not enough to save them and that they needed to do the works as well. And that pretty much describes the majority of the evangelical church today. Uh, and then verse 2, this only what I learned of you. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or did you receive it simply by hearing 
by the hearing of faith. His question is simple. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works, or did you receive it by faith? And of course, Paul, his like so many times before, his question is rhetorical. Uh, again, the obvious answer is they received it by faith. They didn't have to do anything to receive it. They simply um, received it by faith. Uh, now, notice verse number three. Are you so foolish now that you think that what begun, has begun in the Spirit that you received by faith is now going to be made perfect by works or by the flesh? Are you so foolish as to believe that? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? So, so his question is, are you so foolish as to believe that what you receive by faith, you now have to keep it by works? Um, uh, and, and he's actually saying that, you know, this is an insult to the Holy Spirit to think that he cannot finish what he began in you. Uh, and obviously, they had suffered for their faith, and he said, if you're going to fall into this, all that suffering that you suffered, was it in vain? Obviously, they had suffered. And I believe this is talking to Jewish grace believers. I believe that is Paul's audience at the time. He is talking to Jewish grace believers. Um, because only the Jewish grace believers would be tempted to believe, uh, I believe at this time at least, that the kingdom gospel was necessary as well as his grace gospel. Um, and, and you'll see that, and you've seen, you'll see that as we continue to work our way through the book. And again, you've got to watch who Paul is talking to. Uh, when we talk about rightly dividing the word of truth, it's not only dividing the writings of the 12 from Paul, but it's also dividing Paul's writings between the audiences that Paul is addressing. If not, you'll get confused. Um, so he says, to walk away now would make everything that you've suffered in vain. To compromise now and to give in to these Judaizers that are telling you that you have to complete, and that word complete is perfect, or that word perfect, now be made complete by the flesh. Do you think that what's begun in the Spirit that is that it's going to have to be completed by your works or by your flesh? If so, then you've suffered a lot of things in vain. If it yet be in vain, he therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, looking at this verse, uh, Paul is either referring to himself he therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, the he there being himself, uh, referring to his first visit with them, or he's referring the he there is God, i.e. the Holy Spirit. Um, if the he is referring to Paul himself, it would be a reference to what I would call his pre-Acts 28 ministry when he was still working miracles. God was still using him as well as the 12, the 12 to the nation, um, you know, Paul to the Gentiles. Um, so he's either referring to himself and his first visit with them, or he's referring to God, i.e. the Holy Spirit. 
Of course, either way, what, whichever one he's referring to there, the answer is the same. It's faith and not of works. Um, so the bottom line is that Paul never told anyone to do any to do anything other than to believe to receive the Holy Spirit. That's all they had to do was believe. They didn't have to repent, though repentance may very well follow. They didn't have to get baptized, though baptism may follow. And that, that's a different story. I personally believe baptism is for the nation of Israel. It doesn't, you know, if you want to do it, that's fine. But it's certainly not salvific. It has nothing to do with salvation. Um, but Paul never told anyone to do anything but believe, unlike Peter. And the twelve, Peter and the twelve said, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, so that you can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost." And of course, that God, that is still preached today. Uh, that works gospel is still preached today. Uh, Peter and the twelve always preach, "Repent and be baptized, so that your sins can be forgiven, and so that you can receive the Holy Spirit." Paul never preached that. Paul just said, believe. That's it. He said, just believe, um, and you'll be saved. Now, notice verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteous. Now, this verse is usually misinterpreted to be saying that Abraham was saved by faith. Even though... What it's referring to in Genesis 15 has nothing to do with Abraham's personal salvation. Bear in mind that when we talk about the nation of Israel, it was a national salvation that was sought. When the kingdom gospel was preached, it was a national salvation, not an individual salvation. The grace gospel is an individual salvation. It's not a national salvation. It's an individual salvation. So a lot of times people will look at this verse, these verses in Genesis chapter number 15, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth from thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, looked now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it unto him for righteousness." So this verse is not referring to Abraham's personal salvation. It's referring to Abraham's faith in the promise that what we call the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, that was received by faith. In other words, Abraham did not have to do anything. The Lord just said, look now, number the stars, so shall thy seed be. And by faith, Abraham believed that. That's what verse number six is referring to the Abrahamic covenant. It was an unconditional covenant. And I used to teach this at, at the Bible college. An, un, un, an, an unconditional covenant is simply, I will. I will do this. Now, an, a conditional covenant, I will if you will. This is not a conditional covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was an unconditional covenant. And Abraham just believed it. He received it by faith. Again, it had nothing to do with his personal salvation. And Paul's point, why is Paul bringing Abraham into this? And this is crucial. And sometimes it takes me a while to get my, my mind wrapped around this as well. Um, his point here 
is that faith was a part of both the law and the grace. Grace is always has always been an integral part of both the Old Testament or the and the quote New Testament. And you know that's a that's another story. When I say New Testament, I guess that's kind of a misnomer. I don't believe we're in the New Testament. The New Covenant was rejected when the nation of Israel uh, rejected the kingdom offer. So we're not in the New Covenant. And besides, the New Covenant has nothing to do with the Gentiles. The New Covenant has nothing to do with the body of Christ. So we're not New Covenant fellowship. We're not covenant fellowship. We're not building a kingdom. We're not bringing in the kingdom. We're not a part of the kingdom. None of that. All that is Jewish language. All of that was promised to the nation of Israel, not the body of Christ. The body of Christ, our promises are heavenly. The nation of Israel's promises are earthly. Theirs are terrestrial. Ours are celestial. And again, people confuse the two. And again, this is where covenant theology starts. You know, we are the nation of Israel. We are spiritually the nation of Israel. We are spiritually, you know, this and that. I mean, no, there's promises for the nation of Israel that has absolutely nothing to do with the body of Christ and vice versa. So Paul's point here is simple. Faith was a part of the Old Testament. The difference is that the faith in the Old Testament had to be accompanied by works. Abraham was not made righteous by faith and faith alone. In other words, his righteousness, he believed, and it was simply by faith. But then also, this is not referring to the Abrahamic covenant. This is the Abrahamic covenant that was received simply by faith. But the law, I'm trying to say, is the law required not only faith in the law, but you had to do it to obey the law. You had to keep the law. You had to walk in the law um, in order to maintain a relationship with God. And when that relationship was broken, you had to you had to make sacrifice. You had to go to the temple so that that relationship could be temporarily atoned for. Your your sins could temporarily be atoned for, and that relationship reestablished. That's not in the New Testament, but or in the New Testament under the grace gospel. See, I, I keep using that old language because that's just the way I've always been taught. Uh, but that is both faith is an element of both law and Grace is what he's trying to say there. And he says in verse 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Remember that this verse is referring to the kingdom Jews who were still very much part of the Abrahamic covenant, and their faith in the gospel of grace, which was the same faith that Abraham exercised at the giving of the covenant. So again, context is king here. Know ye... Therefore, they which are of faith, the they there is referring to the nation of Israel. They which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Again, Paul's overall point is that Judaism is built on faith, i.e. Abrahamic covenant, and not circumcision, which is works. So he's, he's, he's going back to the Abrahamic covenant which was simply based upon faith. And, he, and he's showing that under the grace gospel, it's the same thing. It's just 
grace. That's his point that he's trying to make. Don't get lost in the weeds. Remember, back in chapter number two, the whole issue was circumcision. Right here. They came. I went up to Jerusalem, uh, and I went up by revelation. I communicated to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles, them being the twelve at the Jerusalem council, but privately to them which were reputationless by any means. Um, I think he's specifically referring to Peter and James. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. That was the whole point. That was the whole point of contention. And the, the argument that Paul is making here in Galatians is that Abraham was declared righteous when he simply believed the Abrahamic covenant by faith. No works required. And he's saying it's the same thing with grace. In other words, it began in grace, and it's and the grace gospel is still in grace. Again, the argument is not about the law. The argument is about faith and the fact that they're saying that these believers needed to be circumcised to be complete. They needed to fulfill an aspect of the law, which did not come until many years after Abraham was declared righteous by faith in Genesis chapter 15 by simply believing in the covenant, the promise that God made to him. So anyway, we'll get into the rest of this. This verse here, that God should justify the heathen through faith. Um, I'm going to talk about that next time we're together. So anyway, God bless you guys. I'll talk to you later. Hope you have a great day. Remember, God loves you, wants the best for you, and working all things out for your good.